0: Good afternoon. Welcome to the panel on RNZ National. Peter Dunn and Anjan Rahman with me this afternoon. Now be prepared for a few roadwork closures on Auckland's motorways overnight including State Highway 16 in both directions between Hobsonville Road and Brigham Creek Roundabout. That's from 9pm tonight. So a few closures there and we'll keep an eye uh, on this uh, earthquake, Magnitude 7 earthquake which has struck the Solomon Islands uh, that's what the United States Geological Survey reports. So it struck at 3, just after 3pm Tuesday, centered. 16 kilometres of the coast there uh, and uh, hazardous tsunami waves from the earthquake were possible within 300 kilometres of the epicentre. So um, more to come on that. Stay tuned to RNZ National. First up, residential property managers will soon need to be registered, trained and licensed under new rules unveiled this morning, 42% of rentals were looked after by property managers. Landlords will now have another year to get their rentals up to healthy home standards, including caring order and community housing providers. amphetamine residue levels would also be consulted on. Many ten- tenants were boosted from their homes due to a lower uh, threshold uh, from meth residue. With us is Professor of Public Health, Philippa Halden Chapman from the University of Otago and her research has had a big influence on housing, urban policy and health. Professor Halden Chapman, Kiora. Kiora, nice
1: to talk to you. Yeah, good to have the you on.
0: Uh, and first another year to get their rentals up to healthy home standards. I mean landlords have known about these changes for what? About three years now.
1: Oh, Yes, but that's been two and a half years of COVID. So I have followed this quite closely. And I think this is a pragmatic decision. Um, in some areas, there's been builders, largely in an uh, example is Christchurch, when Otatahi the, the the housing trust down there, has done 100% of their properties. But that's because there's more builders, probably as a result of the building after the earthquakes. In some areas, it's very hard to get builders and I know in the, the large organisations like Kangora they've been working extraordinarily hard. Their houses are scattered all around the country, of course, and they've done over two thirds of their houses. So people have been working very hard. I think it's, people accept that this makes homes warmer and drier and also maintains the fabric of the house. So I don't think people are um, lingering. They're trying very hard, but there's lots of, Compliance costs here.
0: Yeah. No. Now, um, another year. I mean, in terms of the uh, complaints about uh, property managers to be dealt with through a new regulatory framework. So, real estate agents have it, the builders have it, lawyers have it. They've got the framework.
1: Yeah. Uh, is this fair? I think it's. I think it's very fair. I think it's very principled. Um, Six hundred thousand um, people are, live in rental housing, and um, we know that. For, as you said, 42% of these rental homes have property managers, uh, and many of them are very good, but there are some, there are some, uh, some, um, lots of markets of some rogues. And I think this is, um, a protection both for the landlord, um, who employs them and, and also the, most particularly the tenants. Um, so I think it's very fair that they're registered trained and licensed um, because they affect the quality of the, um, the rental properties and they advise the landlords and they should, most of them know of course what their experience know what they're talking about but there's no barrier to entry of anyone just going in and saying that they
0: know about houses when they don't. Right, yes. I mean, Andrew and Peter will have thoughts on this, but we talked to someone in the property industry uh, a month or so ago about this very topic, the fact that there was no regulation for uh, property managers. They found it quite weird and a little odd that New Zealand does not have one because um, Australia has uh, regulations, as does many other countries.
1: Yeah, well, like many things, we're outliers in the OECD. So I think this is just tidying up things that will make it better all round, really. And particularly as there's lots of fluctuations in the rental markets, we want to make sure that both sides are getting a good deal. Let's
0: bring you in, Andrew and What thoughts or questions do you have on this uh, issue here?
2: Um, Yeah, so in terms of taking a year longer, you know, I'm a person who has a tenant in a property and, and we got onto it reasonably quickly um yes there has been COVID um but yeah I mean we knew it we knew it was coming uh the health is important so I think and and I hope that it is not delayed yet again because it it is and um in terms of, of yeah, the rules for...
1: I, say, um, I, th- I think in that, I think you're obviously a very responsible landlord. And, and certainly the sooner the better people do it. Because of, apart from anything else, it means the house is more likely to retain heat and the and the tenant has to use um, least heat to heat the house. And that's very good for reducing carbon emissions too. So I think everybody sees yeah. the merit in, in doing it Um I guess it's easier to do one than 60000 but nevertheless, good on you.
2: Yeah. yeah, and then the other thing I wanted to say is, as a chartered accountant, you know, I'm used to having lived by a code of ethics um, and yeah. professional rules and regulations, and honestly... Cannot see why this group of people would not have that and having a formal complaints procedure. Um, Tenants are so vulnerable. You don't want to get a bad reputation, particularly in this housing market. And so making that complaint gives you the bad reputation. And so we absolutely need protection.
1: Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. And, of course, some property managers are in industry associations, but most aren't. So there is already an anomaly between um, those two. So I think it's good to standardise that. I think it's a principal decision.
3: Peter Dunn. Well, I, I declare my hand. I don't own any investment property, so I'm not a landlord, no vested interest here. It seems to me that the key to this reform is actually the regulation of property managers, uh, given the the, the number of properties that they uh, have oversight of. And I I wondered, Professor, whether going along with that... uh, Philippa,
1: we know each other. Yes,
3: we do. I'm I'm being very very proper. But (laughs) I wonder, Philippa, whether knowing... um, Sorry, you've now thrown me off track. (laughs) Given the the regulation that's coming in... The consequence has got to be that creates more certainty for tenants. Yeah. And does that yeah. automatically follow? Because because otherwise it's just regulation for the sake of regulation. But it seems to me if you've got no. a situation where the you know the tenant knows where they stand with the property manager, so does the landlord, and they know what yeah. it is they're working towards achieving, then that's a big step forward.
1: Yeah, I think that's true. And I remember the the property manager can stand in as a proxy to the landlord, for example, in the tenancy tribunal. No and as and, as not there's no independent evidence called in the case of tenancy tribunal cases, it's really um important that the property um, manager knows what they're talking about.
3: So, will there be a in sort of a code of, of conduct published alongside um the regulatory process?
1: Yeah, I presume the code of ethics, and so everybody knows where they stand. Mm. So yeah, I, I think that would be like any licensing. Yeah, would um, right. Require training and um, and being registered and so forth.
0: Philippa, I want to I want to address this issue here because this, this I found this very interesting. This uh, the announcements made today. Um, This extraordinary story around meth and homes. I mean, many (laughs) tenants were just booted from their homes due to a lower threshold for meth residue. You had this um, Sir Peter Gluckman report saying there's absolutely no evidence in the medical literature of anyone being harmed from passive use at any level. We can't find one case. And yet, Philippa, you had this industry this massive industry regarding meth testing in Aotearoa. I just, I mean, the mind boggles. Explain it to us. Explain to our (laughs) listeners what the hell happened.
1: Well, it was was partly a demonising of the um, tenants in that case, and uh, it was definitely political rather than non-scientific. It wasn't scientific at all, and I'm a trained scientist, I've also worked in a drug and alcohol unit and I, I read all the literature about it and what you the summary that you gave is absolutely right. But what it built up was a number of um companies um who um again weren't licensed or um and so forth and they went in and said, Oh, this is terrible, you've got to kind of the whole house has to be redone. Um and of course they did quite a lot of damage when they were Breaking off all the walls, so uh, the de- the testing and de- um, decontamination was completely over the top. And um, Peter Gluckman's report was suppressed at one stage, or it wasn't made public. And it wasn't until the, and the government changed.
0: It was suppressed. The, the
1: policy, mm. the policy was changed. He published that. He wrote that. Or I got that. Um, um assistance to write it with his um, oversight um some a period before it was actually released, so it was a beat up it was a kind of demonization of a um tenants, and I think it was very unfortunate and in fact there was a there's been quite a lot of expense in compensating people for their loss of property and so forth so I think it's really good that the, the, the there's been a very clear um, decision on what, uh, on uh, what levels are um, so I actually think they're very conservative, and um, I, I I would say in terms of risk, um, having mould or having t- tobacco um, tar around the house is more is, is demonstrably more dangerous than having right um, a very a, a, a smaller amount of methamphetamine. Different story if you you have to have some threshold because if someone's been Baking mess and a half, that's a different thing. But actually, most of it's um, made overseas, so that's very rare.
0: Good to have you on, Philippa. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so I think it's very rational and I support it. I think it's a good decision.
0: It's uh, Professor Philippa Heldon Chapman there uh, from the University of Otago. Uh, fellow of the Royal Society of New Zealand uh, on her thoughts on the new announcement today. Property managers uh, to be registered, trained and also that myth... Uh, 19 pass for the panel. Anjan Rahman and Peter Dunn with me today. The government has watered down its proposed hate speech reforms after more than 19,000 submissions during consultation, with the government landing on one change on incitement towards religious communities, calling the Law Commission in to look at a wider range of groups. In the wake of the March 15 terrorist attacks, the government accepted recommendations from the Royal Commission of Inquiry to amend hate speech laws and create hate-motivated offences. Green's Justice Spokesperson, golras Garaman, said it was dangerous for the government to leave out rainbow gender and disabilities communities from law changes. To discuss with this, uh, and I'm sure our panel will have uh, views on this too. Lawyer Graeme Edgler. Kia ora, Graham. This has been years, hasn't lot of back and forth and been passed through, what, three different ministers? What are the possible changes? How are you viewing this?
4: Uh, well, they seem to have a, a, only a very simple change now, I think. Not 100% sure exactly what they're going to do, but at the moment there's a criminal offence in the Human Rights Act about inciting racial disharmony. And slightly wider, that's not just race, it also covers nationality, ethnicity, um, colour, you know, sort of old sort of words. Um, mm-hmm and they're going to add religion to that. Isn't so A, lot, it's a just... lot of the other changes that the Royal Commission might have recommended, uh, things about changing the, the threshold for before you committed the offence, uh, that doesn't appear to be their proposal or increasing the penalties, uh, that also appears to be gone as well. So it's just adding that one extra ground religion to, uh, to the list we already have, which is colour, race, ethnic or national origin.
0: OK, well, let's bring our panel straight in on this one. Uh, Andrew Rahman, your, uh, your, your, your views uh, around this.
2: Yeah, so um, obviously we I um, have some history on this, so uh, my first time of submitting around the hate speech laws was back in, I think it was 2004, when the then government held a hate speech inquiry, um, since then been involved with the um, reference group with the Royal Commission while that was ongoing. Um i think it's incredibly frustrating our hate speech laws are weak um they do need to include more people i mean there's with the laws that we have we've only really had one successful case i think um around them so it's not like they're they're lax they're very high threshold very stringent um definitely also disappointed that gender gender diverse and disability was not included, I think also the the penalties should have been increased. Um, obviously, we do still want that really high threshold. Um, for example, one of the things that we know that whatever laws are there, they tend to get used against vulnerable communities more than they are used by them. So we don't want weak laws. We want them to have a high threshold anyone should be able to disagree about religion, criticise religion, um, say that nobody should believe such things. That is all fair discourse. But when you start saying all people of a particular group should be killed, they don't deserve to live, they're threatening our way of life and we have to fight against them and get rid of them. I mean, yesterday we just had that shooting at Colorado Springs, five people dead, 18 people injured at a gay bar, um... Those kinds of events happen because of stochastic terrorism where there is a lead-up that dehumanises those people and makes violence acceptable. And that's what our law should be addressing. Not political opinion, not disagreements around beliefs and religions, not criticising religions, but that real incitement against a group of people.
0: All right, Peter, we'll come to you shortly. Graham, do you want to have a response to that?
4: I mean, it's, it's interesting. I mean, when the government announced its proposal, uh, it was extend it to all of the grounds in the uh, in the Human Rights Act, um, which would have been a big change, I think. Uh, but not necessarily because I don't agree with that. if we're talking about if we're talking about the types of really bad speech, and if we are only limiting it to the very worst types of hate speech, then it shouldn't really matter how many grounds it. It covers, um, you wouldn't be catching that much, and you really would be catching that sort of almost genocide-encouraging, but not quite, um, that, that, that you might want, and so it's interesting. I mean, oddly, if you look at the legislation as it's currently written, it's actually quite a low threshold, but the courts have said, no, it doesn't really mean that, effectively, and so even sort of inciting ridicule is enough, and, you know, you should be able to ridicule people, you know, a lot of people might be, you know, certain you know, Christian sects or things like that, you know, Scientology or Gloria Vale or something like that, where people should be able to be forthright. Um, the courts have been sort of on, on, on supporting us and saying, <laughs> no, 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 that's, all of that's perfectly proper. And of course, right. it only deals with race at the moment. So, um, you know, that's a, you know it, sh- should be, it should be a high threshold. Jim,
0: we will come back to you on what Graham just said there. Just bring Peter in. I think the threshold is the key, and I think that the
3: problem here is the Labour Party's been talking about hate speech law, as Anjum said, for nearly 20 years now. And when it had the opportunity, it put, a, put out a proposal a few years ago that went far too far. It's now come back and produced a damp squib. I think they really need to go back to the, the grounds that were set out by the Royal Commission, set an appropriate threshold, make it clear that, that um, harmless banter, satire, those sorts of things are not covered, but insightful, hateful speech... Is covered, and then move from there. At the moment, just this whole situation just looks farcical. All right, Andrew.
2: Yeah, uh, I mean it is incredibly disappointing. And when you think that objectionable material carries fort- a potentially fourteen-year sentence, for them to not even move on the um, the penalties is is just incredibly disappointing. Um, yeah. I don't know. I just, I'm just feeling really frustrated about the whole situation because ultimately, you know, it, it is again, it's people's lives at stake. I just went to an event on Sunday night in Tauranga where I spoke a comedy event to support the rainbow community there who had their centre burnt down. Like this, this stuff really does cause harm.
0: Graham, let's come back to you. Can you just respond to that and give us a reminder too? What's the law actually for? What will it do uh, more of that existing laws won't do? I mean, as I believe, the law is clear that inciting racial disharmony could be met with a $7,000 fine or three months in prison.
4: Yes, uh, and if you're inciting violence in a particular way, you're know, actually encouraging violence, that does have the you know, possibility of prosecution for incitement under the Crimes Act. So this is it's sort of a step short of actually inciting violence, um, sort of inciting hatred, which then might lead to someone else to, ass- to incite or, 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 or do violence. And so uh, it's, sort of a, it's a very small area. And when you hear sort of overseas cases of hate speech... Uh, even in countries which have very similar laws to ours in New Zealand, like the United Kingdom, often what you see are prosecutions for things they call hate speech, which aren't actually under their hate incitement provisions. And Anjumang was right, I think, when she was talking about, you know, the overseas experience, particularly in England, is that hate speech, the real, like this particular offence, hate speech laws, they're often used in the UK against sort of Muslim imams rather than against people speaking out against uh, Muslims or, 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 or other sort of minorities. And so it's one of the things to be very careful one of the things we really need to worry about with this sort of law change is that we don't accidentally you know, criminalise far too much.
0: Can you? What do you think about it, Andrew? Do you think that um, we have – I mean, these uh, – do we need to remind ourselves why we started talking about this in the first place, you know, the wake of March 15, the terrorist attacks? It just – extraordinary horror there, and it was born out of that. Do you think that over the last three years, we've kind of lost our way of what the core focus actually is supposed to be?
2: Yeah, I I think people do lose focus. Let's remember, you know, people have got a case against Facebook and Facebook have actually admitted that their platform was and contributed to the violence there. There's certainly concerns around what's happening in Ethiopia and Tigray and the uh, role with social media around that dehumanising, making that violence so much more acceptable. Um, I think, you know, it's really important and I'm I'm going to go out on a limb here and I know I'll be criticised for it, but I'm going to say it. I feel like when we have public debates around this issue, the voices of Pākehā men dominate the public and media discourse and all respect to you, Graham, Um I definitely respect your views and, and what you put forward, but we're just not hearing enough of people with that lived experience of being on the receiving end of this and that needs to be in our public discourse and media discourse, so much more than it is right now.
0: Graeme Esdaile, Kira, thanks for being with me this afternoon.
4: Graeme, are you still there?
0: Yes, I am. Do you Do you want a final? Do you want Do you want to say something to that?
4: No, I mean, I, th- I think that's right. Yeah. I, I, I come. To this, as a lawyer, and I can tell you the law and how the courts do it. But you know, we also have to, you know, other people have to talk about what what we need. The I can tell you what the law maybe should look like, um, but other people have to explain to you, um, you know, what the law actually needs to deal with. Uh, you know, and so I think that is important. And you know, you talk to me about what a law should look like, but talk to other people about, you know, their experience and work out what type of law we actually need, and then give it to a lawyer to help you draft it so we don't go too far.
0: All right, Graham, thanks for being with us this afternoon. Andrew, kia ora, thank you very much for being on the panel and uh, sharing those thoughts. I just want help, help us understand, help us the, across the country this afternoon, Andrew, final thoughts to understand this issue better because it's becoming very political. Uh, it's, no, no. it's becoming um, hard to see
2: any way through it, actually, and I don't
0: know what the uh, end result's going to be
2: yeah I think you know people have legitimate fears that they they can't be awful, they can't say mean things um and isn't you that know fair enough? they can't it's cause offense enough. yeah I think you should be able to cause offence I should be able to criticize you um and say things that you don't like that's that is not the issue here, and I think that's where people get hung up, oh, I won't be able to say this anymore or I won't be able to say that or you can't say anything anymore. You can still say stuff. Right, and and these laws are not about you saying stuff and being offensive and so on. Um, there needs to be a much higher threshold than offence. Um, and we, when we're talking about dehumanising language and and that real call to harm uh, communities, um, that is another level. Like we are mm-hmm. talking about another level, and we really are, personally, and I know a lot of people, we we want the ability to be very critical. We do.
0: You're on the panel, Andrew Rahman and Peter Dunn this afternoon. Your thoughts? You can email me the panel at rnz.co.nz.